You're listening to Comedy Central. You watched the NBA opening thing, didn't you? Yeah? Opening game? The Los Angeles Lakers, the Golden State Warriors. What an amazing game. I love how the commentators talk about LeBron like he's dead, though. That's probably one of the strangest things that I watch, especially in American sports. I'd be like, LeBron James with a, wow, oh man, he, I can't believe he's still doing that at that age. He's 36. They make it sound like, like an eight-year-old man is running around on the court. LeBron, he's still got it, folks. You know why I get pissed off about that is because I'm the same age as LeBron, basically. And then whenever they talk about him, the commentator will be like, you know, you would assume that he's, I mean, he shouldn't be able to do these things at that age. And I'm like, guys, I'm not, I'm not that old. Like, I find I'm taking it personally on the couch. I'm like, I'm not that old. He's so old and I'm not that old, guys. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square, the most important place on earth, it's The Daily Show, ears edition. Tonight, shots for cops. Getting to know Vladimir Putin. Nick Offerman. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and joining me for today's headlines is our very own Dulce Sloan. What's going on, Dulce? What's happening, baby? How you hey. doing? So good to see you here again, hanging out, you know, cool here. You ready for the jokes, right? Hey, man, every time I come, they give me free clothes. So, listen, I'm, um... I'm just here, you know, looking at my, looking for a Halloween costume. You know, just looking for clothes on company time, as I do. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry, what? What? Uh, we'll, we'll, whatever, we didn't know that. So what are you, you, you going to go for as Halloween? I don't know. You know, sometimes you just want to be like sexy random thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So what I've really been enjoying is like sexy, like pepper shaker. Okay, Condiment okay. packet. Yes. You know, sexy coin purse, which could... Could be innuendo, which I'm hoping for. Okay, okay. Uh, but what are you, are you gonna go as anything? Do you celebrate Halloween? Is they have Halloween where you from? No, you get burned if you celebrate Halloween where I'm from. Um, I, but I but that. I but I do like I do like going out and like just dressing. I I I find it's just like a cool time to just I I try and dress as a warm thing. I find a lot of people go the opposite direction because I find the time of the year is it's very cold. It's October, yeah. Yeah, and so I find I try to make it whatever I am. It's like warm, Jason or warm Freddy Krueger. Like, Freddy Krueger's great because he's got, like, the sweater. Right, so that's but, what I... but male costumes are always warm. Yeah. You're trying to be, like, the Pope or something like that, or you just, like, full coverage. Uh, that's a pretty cool, you see? Nobody needs that. They want to see Trevor Noah, chest popping, Clark Kent, Superman. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> what? Nobody's sexy when they're shivering. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. Because when you shake, you twerk a little bit. I didn't think of that. I did not think of that. That's what I'm here for, friend. All right, well, let's kick things off with some news about Facebook, Instagram's weird aunt. And I know it seems like we talk about Facebook more than your mom talks about a nice girl you should meet, but this story is different because Facebook is reportedly going to change its name. Yeah, the website will still be Facebook, but the company is going to have a new name. And I don't know if this is a good idea. I mean, Facebook is one of those iconic brands like Hiroshima and Ted Bundy. Do you really want to lose that name recognition? But I'm excited to find out what the new name is going to be. Like, you know, I don't know, maybe they'll go with MySpace. I mean, they already took everything else from them. Might as well finish the job. Killed my friend Tom. So why is Facebook pulling a yay and shopping around for a new name? Well, it turns out there are a couple of reasons. 
The name will reflect the company's focus on building the metaverse and its desire to be known as more than social media. The rebrand could also help Facebook separate itself from intense scrutiny for how its social platform operates. Okay, okay, a few th thoughts on this. Um, um, first, I, I don't think the name is really the problem that people have with Facebook. Yeah, society's like, yo, you guys are destroying democracy. And Facebook is like, we hear you. What if we went by Bookface? Second, if you want to change your image, I don't think you should trust Mark Zuckerberg to do that. I mean, have you seen this man's haircuts? It looks like he goes to the barber and asks him to give him the colonial child. You trust him with your makeover? But more importantly, I feel like we're focusing on the name and that's distracting us from the fact that they're building a metaverse. What does that even mean? Do you hear that? Are we supposed to just pretend that's not terrifying? Facebook has got us arguing about names. Meanwhile, they're getting ready to suck our brains through the computer and put us into an online labor camp. And don't kid yourself. You know that the only reason Mark Zuckerberg wants a metaverse is because he can make it all so that our online versions sound exactly like him. Hello, Mark. I'm Trevor. So nice to meet you. Finally, a world where everybody talks normally. It's so good to be here. Okay, okay, Clint, first, 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 first. Can you never, ever be that Zuckerberg burger again? That shit was, I don't, mm. is, is that, is that weird, Dulce? Hey man, I would throw something at you. That shit is too creepy. Maybe I'll go as Mark Zuckerberg for Halloween. Stop <laughs> <laughs> Listen, but like, you know what that sounds like when white dudes do a white dude voice? Oh, that's so funny. Like when white, <laughs> <laughs> Like when white people do an impression of white people, that's what he sounds like. That he is just like leveled up so high in whiteness that even white people know that white people don't talk like that. All right, let's move on to our next story, which is about organs. You know, the fun gift you get after a stranger dies in a car crash. And for people who need an organ transplant, there aren't a lot of options, right? Artificial organs don't work well, and it is really hard to find a human organ donor. People are really attached to those things. But there might be a third option soon. Because yesterday, right here in New York City, doctors successfully transplanted a kidney from a pig into a human. Yeah, a pig, which is an amazing story. I mean, not for the pig, but for the human, it's an amazing story. And according to some experts, this could be the beginning of a whole new era. This marks the first time a patient's immune system did not immediately reject the organ. If successful here, the option of using pig organs could mitigate a shortage of transplant organs. What we need is a sustainable, renewable source of organs. And that's what xenotransplantation would provide. I mean, tell me that's not incredible. A future where you can easily replace your organs with pig organs. But for real though, if you get a pig organ, I mean, you have to become a vegan then, yes? Can we agree on that? Because imagine if someone gave you his kidney and then you ate his whole family, that shit's disrespectful. And there are three problems I can see with this whole thing. The first is having pig organs sounds great until your dog starts sniffing you all the time and licking its lips. And second, knowing how bad American healthcare is, most people won't even get the pig kidney. They're just gonna have to settle for something less. Okay, unfortunately, your health insurance won't cover pig organ, but you're in luck. We're having a sale on raccoons. And here's the third problem that I don't think people have thought about. When you get an organ transplant, there is a chance, a small chance, but a chance nonetheless, that you feel or adopt a part of the donor. You hear people saying this all the time. Oh, I have their memories. I have their emotions. I feel what they felt. What happens if you get an organ from a pig? Yeah, like what if Trevor gets a pig kidney. And all of a sudden, I'm like walking around in the streets. And then all of a sudden, I'm just like, 
These truffles, truffles, green, 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 truffles, truffles, tree, 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 tree. What neighborhood do you live in where you could walk down the street smelling truffles? I don't know why we're so impressed. Didn't we do a baboon heart in the 80s? We did a baboon heart in the 80s? Yeah, somebody got a baboon heart. I didn't have the internet back then. I don't know. Nobody had the internet back then. Negro was the 80s. You had seven channels. So, I know there's a lot of things that you can transplant. Like, you can transplant all the organs. The only thing that I'm thinking about... If someone has to have, like, an intestines transplant from a pig, then they're just going to be full of chitlins. And that's all I can think about. <laughs> and then if you have to get a skin graft, then you're just covered in bacon. <laughs> I'm not helping. <laughs> all right, but let's move on from pigs <laughs> to pugs. And especially a pug named Noodle who is now blowing up worldwide on TikTok for an amazing account, this is adorable, that is like a daily horoscope where he predicts whether it's gonna be a good day or a bad day. And the way he makes his prediction is, is way more fun than that bullshit groundhog. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to yet another round of No Bones, the game where we find out if my 13-year-old pug woke up with bones, and, as a result, what kind of day we're gonna have. Oh my gosh, oh, it's a bones day, look at that! Steady as the beating drum! Okay, you know what that means, treat yourself today. Another round of No Bones. All right, so we found that he does not have bones this morning. We confirmed he does not have bones. Um, I did try a second time to see if maybe that was a fluke, but I can confirm that it was not. His bones are gone. Okay, guys, this is, this is, this is more adorable than that time Joe and Jill Biden visited Munchkin Land. But, but, I mean, it's obvious what's really happening, right? I mean, it's cute, but it's not, it's not about the future. This dog is waking up with a chronic morning erection, so when he flops down, he's trying to hide it. That's the real bones or no bones. But still, I like how this has become the new astrology. It actually makes more sense, you know? I don't know what Mercury in retrograde means, but I can understand that a no bones day is not the day to sign a new lease. That's simple. I do wonder what this dog tells the other dogs at parties, though. You know, when dogs are hanging out and they're telling each other what they do, and it's just like, I sniff out drugs at the airport. That's what I do, I sniff, sniff, I sniff out drugs at the airport. I help blind people get around in the city. That's my job. Yeah, I fall on my ass and then millennials build a life around it. I don't get it either. Y'all do too much with these dogs, okay? Let the damn dog be a damn dog. That dog is 13 years old. That dog don't want to play this damn game with you. Anytime that dog is no bones, it's I don't want to be here anymore. And yet again, <laughs> You done become an internet sensation because you need a job. Leave these damn dogs alone. They ain't that important. All we need is that goofy groundhog coming out here and being like six more weeks are winter, and then we be on about our lives. All right, that's all the time we have for the headlines. Let's jump straight into our main story. It's about vaccines. They're the thing keeping millions of Americans from their grandpa's inheritance money. And now, the fight over who is required to get the vaccine is crashing up against the thin blue line, as we'll see in another installment of Vaccination Nation. <music> vaccine mandates. For the past few months, it's become the biggest fight in the country. I mean, aside from the Netflix CEO and everyone on Twitter. And mandates have been effective at convincing people to get the COVID vaccine which is why everyone from the federal government to airlines to even Fox News is doing one. Yeah, that's a real thing. Fox News has a vaccine mandate, which is insane. 
I mean, it's like seeing one of those Amish farm stands that accepts Apple Pay. Like, I'm happy, but I did not see that coming. And now, the former epicenter of the pandemic, New York City, is saying that all of its government workers need to get vaxxed, and they mean everybody. New this morning, New York City is now requiring all city employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19, no longer with any option for weekly testing instead. The new mandate covers more than 160,000 workers, including police officers and firefighters. We're asking our public servants and our first responders to do what they do best, lead us forward, help us out of the COVID era. If they choose not to, they go on unpaid leave. So we're less than two weeks to that November 1st date. Right now, the NYPD says its vaccination rate is approximately 71%. Fire department says around 60% of their uniformed workforce have so far gotten the shot. It's a long way to go. That's right. Anyone who works for New York City will have to be vaccinated soon. Everyone from police and firefighters all the way to the guy who makes sure that the taxis are clean. And as of now, nearly a third of all cops aren't vaccinated. And maybe... Maybe they just don't know how to get vaccinated. I mean, I know it seems easy, but some cops don't even know how to turn on a body camera, so... But this is a little concerning because any police who don't get vaccinated can't go to work. And if there's a shortage of police, I mean, that could cause some big problems. I mean, protesters can't kick the shit out of themselves. Plus, who are the Karens gonna call when they feel scared? Hello, Geek Squad, there's a black man in the park and what do you mean it's not your job? I want to speak to your manager. You get me the manager. Now, New York's police union has already announced that they'll be suing to stop this mandate from going into effect, which is no surprise because in every city that's announced a mandate, there's been a fierce resistance from cops and firefighters. There has been a wave of resignations and firings in fire and police departments across the country. Los Angeles Fire reports that there have been at least 241 separations from the department. Baltimore's police department is down 279 officers. In Massachusetts, the state police union president is threatening that at least 150 state police will resign. Late yesterday, Seattle police officers and firefighters walked up City Hall steps to turn in their boots. Yeah, that's right. They're turning in their boots. I know what you're thinking right now because I'm thinking the same thing. Wait, don't cops turn in their gun and badge? Because turning in your boots makes it sound like the police departments have the same footwear policy as a bowling alley. McDuffie, we got a robbery happening on 13th Street. You're, what are you, size 10 and a half? All right, go get them, buddy. I gotta say, out of all the occupations, cops and firefighters are the last people who I'd expect to see this from. I mean, like, these are the same people who sign up to swarm hostage situations or, or run into burning buildings. But when it comes to the vaccine, suddenly they're like, I don't know, seems like a health risk. Like, firefighters, they've always had an image of being brave and selfless, putting their life on the line to help others. That's, that's what part of makes them so damn sexy. You know, and I, I just hope that this vaccine controversy doesn't ruin that image. Because trust me, nobody wants to buy a whiny firefighter calendar. You know, actually, I'd still buy that one. It's still pretty sexy, I'm not gonna lie. But hey, at least those officers had the courage of their convictions, right? They didn't want to follow the rules, so they quit the job. I can respect that. What's a lot more concerning is how some other officers have decided that they'd rather keep their jobs and not follow the rules. In Los Angeles, the county sheriff said he's simply not going to enforce a vaccine deadline that was supposed to take effect 
today. I don't want to be in a position to lose 5-10% of my workforce overnight. In Chicago, responding to that city's October vaccine mandate, the head of the police union said his members won't comply. This has literally lit a bomb underneath the membership, he said. We're in America, gee damn it. We don't want to be forced to do anything, period. This ain't Nazi effing Germany. Whoa, Nazi Germany. That dude escalated things way too quick. I mean, although he is a Chicago police officer, so it makes sense, but, but come on, people, gee damn it. And by the way, I didn't realize that the LA sheriff could just decide not to comply with the vaccine mandate. That's crazy. Like, is that something we're allowed to do? Because I mean, the next time I'm pulled over, I'm, I'm just gonna say, sorry, officer, I have decided not to comply with the speed limits. What's that? I'm getting shot? <laughs> Here's what I find the most strange about this story. For years, police departments have been telling us that nothing is more important than protecting the lives of cops on the street, right? It's why cities have been increasing their budget to buy military-grade armor. And it's also why they can't take 30 seconds to determine if someone really is a threat before shooting them. But it turns out that there is literally nothing more dangerous to police officers right now than COVID-19. COVID, right now, as we speak, is the leading cause of death for law enforcement. In fact, since the start of the pandemic, it has killed more than five times the number of police that were killed by guns. So it turns out that if you do believe that Blue Lives Matter, one of the best ways to show your support is by getting the vaccine. All right, when we come back, we'll take a look at America's former president, Vladimir Putin. And Nick Offerman is joining me on the show. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Show. A couple of weeks ago, the people of Russia went to the polls and by a large margin, elected legislators loyal to President Vladimir Putin, further cementing his hold on the country. But how did Putin become the man we all know today? Well, let's find out in our latest Daily Showography. Can a leader be too perfect? He's a superhero. He's some kind of Superman for us. Can his flawless intellect and unmatched strength make him somehow more than a man? Russia! Russia! At what point does a mortal ruler become a living god? Will I be sitting here till I'm 100 years old? This is the daily showography of Vladimir Putin, democracy's superstar. Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin grew up with everything a Soviet child could ever want. Communal housing, and that's it. We lived in a small room, all three of us, in a communal apartment in Leningrad with no private facilities. We didn't even have our own bath or shower. It was all the fun of a college dorm, but with way more drinking. From birth, greatness was in his blood. His father was a party member, and his grandfather was a cook for Joseph Stalin, giving Vladimir access to all the flavors of Soviet Russia, from bland to cold to gray. It was a movie that set Putin on his life's path. The Shield and the Sword, about a dashing Soviet spy, inspired him to join the KGB. He'd be the Russian James Bond, meaning the guy trying to kill James Bond. 
By 1985, Putin was a lieutenant colonel in the KGB, stationed in glamorous East Germany. But in 1989, tragedy struck. A crowd of Germans driven mad by the decadent Western influences of Coca-Cola and blue jeans descended upon the Berlin Wall. They smashed it to bits, and then, looking for more souvenirs they could later sell to history nerds, they gathered around Putin's station. The Berlin Wall might have fallen, but a great man does not crumble so easily. Putin ran to the basement and set all the KGB's documents on fire. Then he went outside and told the crowd they would be shot if they didn't leave. What an honor for those Germans to be there for the future leader's first death threat. Through his heroic actions that day, Putin survived. But sadly, the Soviet Union did not. When I say that the fall of the USSR was one of the greatest catastrophes of the 20th century, I'm talking about a humanitarian catastrophe above all. After the dissolution of the USSR, 25 million Russians suddenly found themselves in a foreign country. That's right. Millions of Russians had to order whole new address labels. Was the downfall of communism really worth that? But Russia and Putin persevered. Under the steady leadership of the incredibly competent Boris Yeltsin, Putin rose through the political ranks, eventually becoming prime minister. The Russian public wanted to know, who was this young and objectively perfect man? To answer that, Putin commissioned a documentary about his life, just like Beyonce. And Putin's film was even cooler. He commissioned this rarely seen documentary about himself, presenting Vladimir Putin, the credits read, in power. Weirdly, the soundtrack is from the Broadway show Cats. It was without question the second most disturbing movie ever to feature songs from Cats. In 1999, Boris Yeltsin abruptly resigned from the presidency to spend more time with his drinking problem. became the second elected and first permanent president of Russia. He proved himself not just a formidable head of state, but a man of many talents. A beast master. An adventurer. A sportsman. And a born entertainer. Putin is truly a quadruple threat. Quintuple if one of the threats is making actual threats. But most of all, President Putin is a protector of Russia's fragile democracy. A role he takes so seriously that every election he does whatever is necessary to stop inferior candidates from winning. For this devotion, his citizens have rewarded him with the presidency again and again by literally unbelievable margins. 
Vladimir Putin will lead Russia for another six years. He cruised to an expected victory in yesterday's presidential election, winning nearly 77% of the vote. Check this brazen ballot stuffing caught on camera. In these videos verified by the AP, voters seem to insert multiple ballots. One election official appears to stroll over to a box, stuff it, while no one in the room seems to mind. Yes, Putin respects people's right to vote so much that he lets them vote two, three, or 78 times in the same election. It wasn't all smooth sailing, though. One time, Putin briefly had to let a friend be president for him until he could run again. And then he had to make a tiny change to the Constitution so he could run again again. And again. As Russia has thrived, so has the man who embodies it. For his steadfast commitment to fighting corruption, Russian oligarchs and energy executives have gifted Putin with tens of billions of dollars. My personal suspicion is that certainly Mr. Putin is the richest man in Europe, possibly on the planet. And that money would come in handy when unexpected expenses cropped up, like secretly buying a luxury apartment in Monaco for a totally random woman. And yes, one media outlet claimed that the woman was Putin's mistress, but that's ridiculous. Putin was happily married at the time. And also, that media outlet has since been outlawed. Besides, these rumors are completely unfair to the woman's daughter, whose unknown father must be very proud of her and her face that looks absolutely nothing like Vladimir Putin. Of course, even a perfect country has some malcontents, but whenever those seeking to undermine Putin's streak of uncorrupt democracy begin to circle him like bloodthirsty sharks, somehow, some way, fate always intervenes on his behalf. There seems, for some reason, to be an extremely high mortality rate among independent journalists and political opponents of Mr. Putin. President Putin dismissed accusations that the Russian state was behind the attack on Mr. Navalny. If our agents had wanted to kill him, he said, they'd have finished the job. Is Russia behind the poisoning of Sergei Skripal? Look, we're busy here with agriculture, and you ask me about some tragedies. Get to the bottom of things there first, then we'll talk about this. Yeah, why doesn't anyone ever ask Putin about his agriculture programs? Like these new bananas he's working on that grow with the poison already inside them. Sure, it's true that some of Putin's critics met untimely ends, but on the other hand, let's move on. We should be talking about agriculture. Naturally, a true champion of democracy doesn't just want it for his own country. He wants it for all people, which is why Putin began tirelessly assisting with elections around the world, sending his digital democracy helpers to gently nudge voters in the right direction. Putin was so amazing at democracy that in 2016, even the world's so-called greatest democracy was asking for his help. Russia, if you're listening, and like the great man he is, Putin answered the call. Tonight, Russian President Vladimir Putin trolling the United States, joking about meddling in the presidential election and saying he'll do it again. I'll tell you a secret. Yes, of course we'll do it, to finally make you happier. Just don't tell anyone. You know what they say. It takes a big man to joke about himself and an even bigger, scarier man to joke about destroying your country. Yeah. 
That's why in all the world there is no bigger man than Vladimir Putin. How grateful we are for his 21-year reign, his guaranteed 16-year future reign, and if we should be so fortunate, his 100-year reign after that. All right, when we come back, Nick Offerman will try to convince me to go camping. Good luck with that. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is actor, humorist, and best-selling author, Nick Offerman. He's here to talk about his brand new book that celebrates the beauty of America's great outdoors. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. It's so great to see you. I feel like this is like the perfect space for you and your voice. That's what I feel. <laughs> Normally when I see you, there's, there are either too many people you know, and then your voice doesn't seem like it's matching the energy. It's true. This, this feels right. This feels like the kind of space where Nick would say something and people go like, that was the space it was meant to be said in. I take that as a compliment. What you just said reminds me of my dad, who's really funny. But when you're, whenever you're in a crowd, he always, he'll gesture to you and then step away and say something under his breath. Like, <laughs> uh, I hope you didn't have the trout. <clears throat> And I'm sorry for the atmosphere that you might be experiencing. Oh, wow. Um, I feel like you got the funny, man. That's what you got. Well, that's, uh, that's big talk coming from you. No, no, no. I, I, mean, <laughs> I mean that for real. Like, like, you know, some people know you, obviously, from Parks and Rec. And then, and then some people know you from the podcast that you, that you host with your wife, which is, I would argue, the most intimate podcast, you know, uh, partly because you host it from an actual bed. Yeah. And partly just because it feels like we, like, know you as, as a couple. Um, and then some people may know you from writing books, where the deer and the antelope play. There are a few books I read that make me feel truly the essence of the person. I feel like I went to the places that you went to in this book. Did you set out to do this for the book or did the book come from doing the journey? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, it all, kind of, it all kind of happened serendipitously, simultaneously, synchronicitously, if that's, I think that's an actual word. If you um, say it confidently enough, people believe it. Synchro synchronicitously? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I had the idea for this book for several years. I knew that it would involve trying to regurgitate sort of my interpretation and feelings about our relationship with nature for mm -hmm. my readership. And I was talking about the book with Jeff Tweedy of Wilco, who's in the book, and uh, we, we have this three-way bromance with him and George Saunders, the great fiction writer, and it was Jeff's idea. He said, why don't we go somewhere and walk in somewhere beautiful and you can use our conversations for your book. And I said, uh, yes, Jeff Tweedy, my philosopher, poet, hero, that sounds fine to me. Uh, so I, I booked that trip and I mean, so I kind of knew, I wanted to go meet James Rebanks and his family in England uh, and their, their shepherding operation for myself. But I, there's always in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, this actually might work its way into the book. Uh, and then I was writing the first two parts of the book when Megan and I ended up deciding to take this Airstream trip. So eventually the penny drops where I'm like, oh, this also fits into the book. So while I'm finishing up the first two thirds, I'm living the last third and then it all, so it kind of comes organically. 
The stories that you tell in the book aren't just stories of travel. They're stories of history. They're stories of life. They're stories of, I think, you connecting with the humanity of not just yourself, but like the land that you live on. I think a lot of people will be surprised when they read this book because they'll go like, man, Nick, it, it gets a little deep in some parts here. Like one minute you're in a, you're in a forest and the next thing you're talking about the people who are removed from this land or, or what this land actually means. I, th I mean, I think one of the things I talk about in the book is trying to bring nuance back to our human conversations. Clearly you don't use Facebook. I don't actually, I've never been on Facebook. This um, explains a lot about you. <laughs> but uh, when, I, when I'm, for example, hiking in a national park, I can, you know, the first simple reaction is, holy cow, this beautiful, mm -hmm, pristine mm -hmm. land, untouched by human, wait a second, uh, it was touched by, people used to live here and we killed them, or we removed them, you know, we, right, right, right. we, we shat on them one way or another, and by we, I mean the Europeans, the conquering people, and that then it just musingly makes me think, uh, we were always kind of brought up to to believe that to conquer something was positive. Yes. Like we're the victors, right. that makes us heroes. But as I looked at it in this context, I was like, well, wait a second. I mean, all that really means is we killed them better than they were able to kill us. We don't want to acknowledge where things came from or how things came. We don't want to consider the possibility that we are enjoying ill-gotten gains at any point. You're right. I, so. Which, which is also very understandable human behavior. I always open, when I tour as a humorist or I write a book, I always try and open, that's why it says I'm ignorant on the cover of the book. Right. Because what I'm saying is we're all ignorant. We all will never understand all the information. No, we won't. We're clumsy, farting mammals that are building skyscrapers. And so we're never going to do that perfectly. We're never going to be mm -hmm. like, well, mm -hmm. there's our civilization. Right. Everybody's happy. And so knowing that we always have these deficits somewhere, let's maintain the attitude of a student and say, okay, what did we get right? And what are we getting wrong? Mm -hmm. And how can we shift towards getting more right? You're an amazing person to know. I think you write some of the most fantastic books. I appreciate having you on the show. And uh, next time you go on a road trip, please tell me. I, I'll, I'll decline, but I would just like you to tell me okay. so that I could feel like I could come along. Well, thank you. I, I will do that. And maybe, maybe I'll FaceTime you from the top of a mountain. I would love that. And, and we Just so I can feel like I was, I'll be like, oh yeah, oh man, that looks great. I wish I was there. I, won't, I don't actually wish I was there. <laughs> but I would like to feel like I wish I was there. I would, sometimes I, I'm scared on the top of a mountain, and I think it would be comforting to see your face just for a minute. I appreciate that, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, people, don't forget. Nick's book, Where the Deer and the Antelope Play, is available right now. And... Colin in Black and White, the brand new show that's gonna premiere on Netflix October 29th. This man over there, he's gonna be playing Colin Kaepernick's father. Yeah, that's what I said. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, be nice to pigs. The next one you see could be your kidney donor or your breakfast bacon. Either way, be nice. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.